Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this evening we're going to be in 1 Kings 21. Well, the last time I titled the message, Some Don't Get It, unfortunately, we, for those of you that are new to the Bible, we cover the whole Bible, not just our favorite parts. Always want to study God's Word in context. So we're at a point in 1 Kings in the Old Testament where we're dealing with a very evil king and his evil queen wife. Um, looking forward to getting out of this section, but, you know... I think sometimes, too, you know, you wonder, you see the evil in people, and you see some of the characters in history, and I think probably it's good to know and it's good to recognize. If nothing else, maybe it will give us more of a sense of discernment. Well, we know that this evening we're going to read a story about an innocent man who's murdered, and I titled it Eminent Domain. I do always try to take what's in the Bible and give, bring it up to speed to the 21st century, and how can we relate? Well, if you don't know, eminent domain is a term, phrase, that when the government wants to take your property <laughs> to build a bigger highway or something, they can legally, uh, and they can give you what they think is fair market value, but, you know, it's your front yard, your front lawn, and they can just literally take it and grind it up and make a, a, another lane out of it. Actually, I'm seeing that happen in, in Old Bridge right now, one of the uh, roads that they're widening. Uh, so... This is just, this is obviously more intent, this is more serious, um, there's very, there's a lot of injustice, and it's just like the power, or the phrase goes, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, King Ahab, there was nobody higher than him, than God, uh, so there was nobody to appeal to. Him and his wife were in cahoots together, and they made the Israelites miserable for a time, but eventually justice comes. So we're going to start in verse 1. It says, and it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near, next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab the king went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jedrealite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and he would eat no food. Sounds like something an eight-year-old would do. But um, that probably insulted an eight-year-old. But Ahab the king, next to this palace, he sees a beautiful vineyard. He wants to turn it into a vegetable garden. Uh, he's really coveting it. There's only one problem that doesn't belong to him. belongs to Naboth. And Naboth does not want to sell it to the king because literally it would go against God's law. If you look in Leviticus 25, 23 through 28, we don't have to go there now, but God forbade the selling of land uh, from ancestral heritage. The Israelites were divided, 12 tribes, and each tribe got a portion of land. And, you know, it's very interesting. I studied economics uh, to own private property, which we have that right in the United States. A lot of countries don't have that. It actually helps to prevent poverty. Land is important. 
You know what I'm saying? So God said, and he tried to, God tried to stop one class of citizens always dominating another class because of poverty. So he, in his law, he actually said, you can't sell this land. Uh, I forbid it. Keep it within the family. So the king goes away in these sulks, and um, he's really like a, a big overindulged baby the more we read about Ahab. And whatever he has is never enough. He always wants more. And you know what? Sometimes we run into people like that, and it's really not an attractive quality. You get to know somebody, and it's just always about them. It's always about what they want, what they can gather. And, you know, it's sad. It's a sad thing to watch. But what we're going to see is that Ahab starts out coveting. You know, he desires this. He wants it. He dreams about it. This is covetousness. And the covetousness leads to pretty much him violating or breaking almost all of God's Ten Commandments. Um, so we're going to continue. Verse 5, it says, But Jezebel, this is the queen, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? So he said to her, I was going to do this in a whiny voice, but I, I decided not to. <laughs> because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money or else... If it pleases you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give it to you. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise and eat food and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city of Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. Sometimes the truth is stranger than fiction. This is an actual event. This actually happened. I couldn't help but thinking about modern politics when I read this. You know, I think for, uh, out of most countries, we have probably the fairest system representative government but there are some flaws with that and every once in a while somebody gets too close to a politician and things turn and they disappear or they die a, a suspicious death but in other countries you could see it even more in verse 7 Jezebel says to the king you now exercise authority over Israel in other words you're the king do whatever you want you're the king we're going to take his land if he says no we'll, we'll make sure we get it from him and the ruling elites decided you know it's almost like a drug it's like this well that they drink from and it, it, it this drug this power drug just makes it maddens them this is one of the, the greatest not that greatest in a good way but the the best examples that we can see of, of people who are just completely given over to to evil because of stuff that they want um, I've talked about Jez, Jezebel before she's mentioned in the book of Revelation and you know, she has a different characteristic than her husband Ahab. Ahab is evil, but in a different way. He's a weak man. Je uh, Jezebel was actually the strength in the home. She was the strong one. Uh, she was creative in a devious way. She had devilishly clever ideas. This intricate plan to kill somebody. Who does this? You know what I'm saying? I remember watching um, just TV. I don't watch TV that often, but a, a, an ad came on for, I guess on this channel, every few hours it goes to a different channel, and it's the, it's the Lifetime for Women channel, and it actually, they had a series called Wicked Women, and it's funny, the, the, the coming attractions are so horrible, you know what I'm saying? It's just an ad, but 
Uh, I, I couldn't help but think of that when I'm studying about Jezebel, but uh, nobody's given it up that they watch that or not, but, <laughs> but basically she's pretty bad. I mean, she is bad news. And there are people on the earth, every once in a while I run into somebody that I really believe has a demon. Um, and there are those in the world that will sell themselves really to the devil to get a benefit on earth that they don't think they're going to get outside of selling themselves. Uh, they, you know, maybe they don't want to try God. Maybe he's taking too long. Maybe he said no, and they really want this. So they sell their souls. Um, it's, and when you run into somebody like that, it's very interesting. Very interesting. So poor Naboth thinks he's going to be honored, but he's being set up to be murdered. And I think what's more tragic is, talk about the smoking gun. You know, we hear these things about the emails, and the emails are deleted. She writes this letter and puts the seal of the king on it and sends it to the nobles and elders. They open it up, and it says, well, this is how we're going to kill Naboth, this innocent man. I mean, that's the smoking gun. So the nobles and elders, I don't know, are they just weak too? Well, the king said it because it was in his seal and everything, so let's do it. So now you've got a whole bunch of people conspiring to kill this innocent man. Crazy stuff. Um, so anyway, so you have covetousness now evolves into false witness and then murder. You see the, you see the progression here. If we could jump to Proverbs 6, 16. Proverbs 6, 16. Pretty much has everything in here. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look. Suppose if you think you should have everything, you kind of have that look. You're proud. You're haughty. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among brethren. Now, Solomon, I believe, wrote this, this one too, this proverb. And he never met Jezebel. So Solomon came before Jezebel, Jezebel. It's almost as if he wrote prophetically about this situation. Proverbs 9.17 is another one. It says, Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Now that usually applies to adultery if you look at the context, but certainly it could apply to this nefarious plot to kill Naboth. We're going to get what we want. It's just a matter of time. All we have to do is bump off Naboth, you know, and no one will know. The people won't know. Just those that are in the, in the know will know. Verse 11, continuing. So the men of the city, the elders and nobles who were the inhabitants of this city, did as Jezebel had sent to them, and it was written in the letters which she had sent to them, they proclaimed the fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, you could say today dirtbags, uh, men of bad character, came in and sat before him, and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. And then they sent to Jezebel, saying, notice they didn't send to the king, they sent to the power of the throne, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. And I'm sure they were repaid handsomely for that. So Naboth is murdered. Now, I'm sure there's more to the story. I'm sure if someone did a movie about it, he protested. Wait, wait, no, no, you, you, you have this wrong. This, there's got to be some mistake, you know. 
Uh, he's probably caught off guard. He's probably trying to defend himself. He's probably begging for his life. He's kicking. He's screaming. Horrible, isn't it? When you think about it. And in this corrupt government, there's nobody to advocate for him. You know, I read stories. I, I'm really big into overseas news. I don't just try to pay attention to what happens in the United States. I try to get out of the Western bubble. There's a whole world outside of our country. And if you look at China, Cuba, North Korea, you see family members, close confidence, confidants to these dictators. They're in one day. The next day, it's the suspicious. The, 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 the king or whatever is suspicious of them or the dictator, and they just take them out and they execute them. No due process, nothing. It, it's, I mean, even the whole thing with Turkey. Now, if, again, if you're following this, Turkey is a very pivotal country, and Turkey's in NATO. This has a lot to do with ISIS and Syria and Russia and Israel. You know, Turkey, an, an inst unstable government in Turkey is a scary thing, and Erdogan, or Erdogan, um, supposedly there was a coup against him, but he prevailed. He's apparently executing 7,000 people. Now they're saying that it's possible that Erdogan, they're checking it out, that he might have pretended and staged this coup so that he could, he could turn Turkey radical Islam. This is a scary world we live in. I mean, everything is so precarious, but it's very interesting. The Bible talks about this. It talks about this instability. It talks about the alignments of the nations, Ezekiel 38 and 39. You've got to check that out. It's all, everything like Pastor Vinny says, it's falling into place. You know, the Lord is going to come back soon. So, you know, it's what concerns me about our country is that the media drives the frenzy to convict people before the evidence is in. And I'm not just talking about one's, you know, anybody who's on trial for anything. I mean, they're just, it's such a fast news cycle that they need to move on and get to the next person. If they find out that they falsely accuse somebody, they rarely make a correction or a retraction. Um, you know, you see even politicians weighing in on situations before all the facts are in. It's a dangerous precedent. You know, there's a lot of deceivers out there, some that are talking about, oh, you know, they act like they're populists and they want to talk against the rich and famous, but they themselves are the rich and famous trying to deceive the people and come off as populists. It's very deceptive, the, 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 the culture that we live in. A lot of this is a diversion. You know, why, do the, why does the news even ever focus on the Kardashians? Is that news? To me, that's not news. Who cares? But it's like they focus on these nonsensical issues when something else is going wrong. Oh, you know, come here, look at the, look at the, the little birdie. You know, don't see what's going on over there. I don't know. But, and then you find things come out later that we didn't know. They put, pulled the wool over our eyes. You know, when God is removed, then truth is removed, and lies take over, and when that happens, the society crumbles. The court systems, contracts, a free media, and the political scene. We're going to also jump to Isaiah 59, real quick here. Isaiah 59, starting with verse 13. This isn't, you know, you look in the history of man. It could have been the Grecian Empire, it could have been the Persians, it could have been the Babylonians. You know, everybody, you know, the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana, oh, we have this perfect form of government. And over time, you see it crumble. Why? Because men are in charge. Men, women, sinners. And that's why these nations crumble, because men are inherently sinful and corrupt. You know, you give uh, one person too much power to a group of people, and 
you see what happens around the world. Isaiah 59, starting in verse 13, it was no different back then. He says, in transgressing and lying against the Lord, right, there's that first step there, destroying society, and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back. Justice is not blind anymore. Now Lady Justice is peeking through the blindfold to see who she likes and who she can get off based on their power or their money or their influence. Okay, And I'd say Lady Justice in our sense, the United States, but justice is turned back and righteousness stands afar off. The truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter. So truth fails and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. So now the good guys are the ones who are, are, are targeted for termination, so to speak. Verse 13. So here's the accusation. Poor innocent Naboth trying to mind his own business. He is accused of blaspheming God and blaspheming the king. The truth is, number one, Naboth was honoring God by not wanting to break his law. Maybe he wanted to sell it. Maybe he was down on money. But he knew that Leviticus said he was an observant Jew. No, I can't do this. God doesn't want me to do this. So he didn't blaspheme God. That's a lie. And he didn't blaspheme the king because he didn't want the king. He honored the king by not letting him fall into that trap too. So he was saving himself and saving the king as well and honoring God. This is what liars do. If you're trying to prevent something and you're trying not to do something, they'll say that you did it. And it, it could become very frustrating. I've had it happen to me. The very thing I tried not to do or save somebody from, I got blamed for and if you've lived long enough, it's happened to you as well. And if you're a Christian, even more. Because they see, the evil sees the light in you and they try to besmirch your character and your reputation. Verse 14, Jezebel was a master manipulator. She found these two scoundrels. Hey, now, this is the script. Say this at this appointed time when we go to toast them. You know, you know the toast. And, and you know, I'm just embellishing here or conjecturing, but... Um, unfortunately, there's scoundrels even today that'll do anything for money. How do you look an innocent person in the eye and murder them? <laughs> the, and the officers notified Jezebel that she was the real power to the throne. Now, this is interesting. As we go on, we're eventually going to be in Second Kings. Sometimes the further books, for whatever reason, to elaborate, will elaborate on the previous books. It wasn't just Naboth that they killed, by the way. 2 Kings tells us, uh, uh, 2 Kings 9, when we get to it, that Naboth's sons were killed too. Why? Because if, if let's say your father's a traitor, we're going to kill him. Okay, the, the, the land naturally goes to the sons. So what did they do? They killed the boys too. Everybody's getting slaughtered in that family because of this evil uh, king and queen. You know, it's funny, Jesus was also accused of sedition by scoundrels. Right? He had false accusers come forward really sad. The religious leaders paid these guys off to falsely accuse Jesus. How does it get any worse than that, you know? Verse 15. I get into this. <laughs> so, verse 15. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive, but dead. So it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead... Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. He couldn't wait to open his present. He just murdered an innocent man, killed his sons too, and this guy just can't wait to go there 
and claim it for himself. Now, from an evil, evil person's perspective, this was brilliant. He didn't have to give them any money. He got it for free. I'm sure the scoundrels came cheap. So how, what did he, you know, this is great for him. So we have coveting, false witness, murder, stealing. The Ten Commandments are falling like dominoes. Right? Verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Oh, the prophet Elijah's back. Remember Elijah? He had a little hiatus. He had a little pity party for himself. The man of God is ready to get back into the game. I love this. Uh, if, if somebody has seen a movie on this, could you please let me know? I want to see it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. It's like, you know what? Don't even let him enjoy it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have murdered and also taken possession. Or have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, the dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. Wow. First of all, not everybody. You know that, that God tried to send people to do things and they said, no, no, I'm afraid. No, I don't want to. No, no, I'm really enjoying life here. And I'm paraphrasing. The, the fact that Elijah had the courage to do what God asked him. Remember, you go and you, they just killed an innocent man and his sons. So here's the prophet Elijah. He doesn't have any real superpowers unless the Lord gives it to him. He goes to the king and he confronts him to his face. That took a lot of courage. Think about that. You know, I think in today's society, courage is lacking. You know, sometimes we don't even have the courage to tell our friends and our loved ones that they're doing something wrong. You know, everybody has the attitude, and I shouldn't say everybody, but it just seems in our culture, you know, well, I saw what happened to that person when he stood up to that person. Well, certainly I'm not going to do that. And what does it say about us as a nation? What does it say about us as a church if we don't have the courage of time to stand up to somebody and just say something. Not beat them up. Not yell in their face, but just maybe you have a word from the Lord. Maybe it's a Christian who's really setting a bad example. Could be anybody. Just like Abel's blood cried out to the Lord for justice, remember Cain and Abel? So now Naboth, his blood is crying out for justice and that's a figure of speech. And God acted upon it. And you know what? We look at our country, we look at the world and we see so much injustice. And it's frustrating. And sometimes, honestly, we get frustrated with God. Lord, why are you so merciful? <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We're upset with God because he's not dealing with that evil person. You know why God does it? Not because he's ineffective. He does it because he's long-suffering. He wants the wicked to come to their own conclusions and be convicted and come and repent and come to him. That's how loving he is. But God will deal with sin. Eventually, it, it comes. Those who don't know the Bible say that the grim reaper is coming with his sickle and his hood. But we know that that's just a, a caricature. God will deal with sin. How many times do we see that in Psalms? A frustration. Lord, the guilty, they seem to get away and get away and get away. God's like, I'm going to do it in my time. Verse 20, here it comes. <laughs> then Ahab said to Elijah, the guy's not even, he says, have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. 
I will take away your posterity and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. Remember, Elijah speaking for God. That's what prophets did. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam and the son of Nebat. They had no posterity. And like the house of Basha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. We're going to see all this in Second Kings. The dog shall eat whoever... Boy, the dogs ate good when judgment happened. I just want you to know. <laughs> and I have two dogs, and you could keep giving them food, and they'll just keep eating, and they don't stop, you know? Okay, continuing. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. This was a great insult because how you died was very important in that culture. Getting a proper burial was very important. Leaving children who could rule if you were in the ruling class was important. And God struck at the heart of all those things. Verse 25, But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. She incited him. And he behaved very abominably in, the, in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. That's interesting, because the Amorites, after 400 years of grievous sin, God said, that's it, you're out of that land. They had to leave their vineyards, they had to leave their homes. He judged their sin. They were doing horrible things, horrible things to children, and he said, that's enough. And you know what's amazing? God's own people, he also judged them. What happened? In 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and they attacked and they prevailed and they deposed the kings, put their own puppets in there and took a lot of the Israelites to Assyria, right? But one thing that I see here and, and I see it in our, in our culture is the king, Ahab, he has this inability to take personal responsibility. He sees Elijah and what does he say? He's disrespectful. Oh, you're my enemy. No, no, no. Elijah was his best friend. How many times did Elijah warn the king, stop the wickedness? Now it's too late. Right? Prior, he said, he sees uh, Elijah, no respect for Elijah, no respect for God. He calls him, oh, there you are, you trouble of Israel. When he was the trouble of Israel, because of his sin, Israel had that drought. And if you do right, the ungodly will look at you the same way. They're going to look at you as the problem. They're going to look at you as the one that stands in the way of their wicked plans, their full-throttle evil. And maybe not as a physical men menace, but it bothers them that you even exist because you're the, you're the voice of conviction. It bothers them. You irritate them. You get on their nerves just because you follow God. There are two spirits. There's the spirit of God and the spirit of demons. And unfortunately, the spirit of demons manipulate people. They work through them. Right? The, uh, Jesus cast out one man who had a whole legion of demons in the guy. There was all kinds of people in there, all kinds of talking through, through the man. It was really weird. Uh, so he basically said, telling Elijah, you're a troublemaker and you're always trying to hurt me. And that was a lie. This kind of goes to our Nehemiah message a few Sundays back, uh, Victory at Last, where there was a subsection of dealing with personal attacks. So God, through the prophet Elijah, doesn't paint a very pretty picture of 
the end of days for the king and the queen. In 1 Kings 22, we see that Ahab does not die an honorable death, and the dogs do lick his blood when he dies. In second, and, and again, in that culture, in American culture, we love dogs. It's man, man's best friends. In that culture, dogs, the people despise dogs. You know, in, in some countries, there's just dogs everywhere, and they have mange, and they carry disease, and they're a nuisance, and sometimes they attack people. So again, we've got to get out of the Western idea of, of dogs. We have, you know, collars for them, and we vet them, and they're usually not out in the street, and if they are, we call animal control, and they take care of them and try to, you know, enough about dogs. But the bottom line is that it wasn't a pretty death. In Second Kings, we see Ahab's son, Ahaziah, and Joram. They both died, not a good death. And we also see the death of Jezebel, and we're going to get to that in a few chapters. Jezebel stirred up her husband and caused him to do evil. You know, there's a difference between a godly life and an un- a godly wife and an ungodly wife. Uh, Proverbs 14.1 says, Every wise woman builds her house. A husband's a fool if he has a wise woman and he's not listening to her. Because the Bible is very strong. She, <laughs> I see some elbows. <laughs> because the woman helps to build the house of the marriage and the family. Right? But the rest of it goes, but the foolish one pulls it down with her hands. There are some women who are just destructive to the marriage, to the family. You know, Genesis 3.17, God judged Adam and he said, because you listen, you listen to your wife, you listen to Eve. Eve told him to eat of the fruit. God told him not to. And he should have said, now Eve, <laughs> let's go to the Lord and repent. This is really, really bad. But he goes... Oh, yeah, that looks good. Sure, honey, I'll take a bite too, you know. And look what happened, right? So, listen, men too, it can go one way or the other. Unfortunately, we're dealing with a very strong wife right now who's a very ungodly woman. So we look at covetousness, false witness, murder, stealing. Now we just add, God says, idolatry. You guys are idolaters, right? I mean, almost all the Ten Commandments are broken because of pride, covetousness, and inflated ego and a sense of entitlement. Verse 27, last few verses. This is interesting. And this really goes with chapter 22, but I don't want to take on too much in one evening. So it was, when Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and went about mourning. Boy, you thought he was depressed about not getting the vineyard. Now he finds out God is on to him, and he's going to judge him. And he's really upset. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days, but in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Now, if you take the Bible out of context, you can get confused. Well, that's not fair, what it's going to do to his sons. Let's look at this. There was a momentary repentance on the part of Ahab, but we'll find in the next chapter, he does go back to his old ways, and he ends up dying, dying early anyway. He dies in battle. Uh, probably a painful death, and we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, the Lord didn't cancel judgments because Ahab repented. He was going to postpone them for a time. But then Ahab goes back to his old ways, and we'll see what happens in the next chapter. Ahab actually hastens his own death. Even today, under Jesus Christ, we're forgiven for our sins. What does that mean if you don't know the Lord? It means that whatever, you're 25, you're 45, you're 65, whatever point in your life you come to the cross, you come to Christ and trust Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Jesus has already died for your sins. You're now trusting Him and you're receiving of that free gift of eternal life. However, 
sometimes our sins come back to haunt us in a different way. So in other words, whatever you did, you could have killed somebody. I mean, if you're truly repentant and you trust Jesus, you will go to heaven. You will not be judged for your sins. But during life, if you do enough substance abuse and you get saved, you're going to go to heaven. But your body may break down because of all the substance abuse. Remember, it's a consequence of sin. It just is a cause and effect. Very simple. If you do enough sexual perversions, it'll take a toll on your body, relationships, and your mind. And again, you can come to the cross and be saved and still carry something inside of you that's detrimental to yourself and those that you love. If you do enough evil and make enough enemies in this world, you can get saved and go to heaven. But all those people that you, you spurned, they might not get the joke and they may come for you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you see this stuff all the time. There's a difference between kind of what happens here because we live in a fallen world and what happens in the heavenlies. The angels rejoice when a sinner repents and comes to salvation. God opens the doors of heaven. He opens the door of his love. But sometimes we, we suffer for things that we've done. They just kind of, it's not God doing it to us. You know what I'm saying? And that's a different dispensation. But God knew in his foreknowledge that Ahab's sons would be, would be wicked. God never punishes the innocent. And we're going to see when we get into this, both of his sons, they were very evil and they, they were judged for it. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. So I labeled the message eminent domain and that's, that's my little way of being clever. But I have to say that absolute power corrupts absolutely. You know, even David, who was an awesome king and a man after God's own heart and started out as a shepherd boy, don't we read in the Bible that all that power changed him? And he had a fight with his flesh to stay the, the, the man that God always knew that he could be and would be. And David, I've got to say, for somebody who was that much power was thrust upon him, he, he was a good king. And he died in good graces. But if those that don't have God, well, we see this all around the world. We see this with dictators. You know, uh, Castro in Cuba promised the people he would take care of them until he got into power. Murders, um, tortures, a lot of Cubans. I know Cuban-Americans who fled. Their grandparents fled Cuba. Amazing. They used like primitive boats and stuff just to get out of Cuba. It's China under, the, under Mao, the same thing. The students are going to rise up, the students. And it's really sad. that Remember that demonstration in Tiananmen Square in China a few years back? They were quoting Johnson, uh, uh, Adams and, and, and Washington. They were saying, we want freedom. We don't want communism anymore. And you know what we did? We ignored them. Iran, right? There was a revolution in the streets. The college kids were out saying, we don't want to be under the mullahs. We don't want to be under radical Islam, you know, and so this is what happens. Men get into power and they realize, well, I got the power. I got the military. There's nobody who can stop me. And they change. It's because of sin. The only godly leadership we're going to find is when the Lord comes back and establishes his kingdom. I, I can't help but teach this and not cross over to a political science debate. I mean, I took governments. Um, yeah, I took economics in college and all that. I'm very well-versed. Marxism and stuff. Um, but it's really sad because the big lie, and what a lot of these takeovers do, is they hate Christians. Mao Zedong in China, he started killing the Christians. 
Watchman Nee wrote and all these famous Chinese Christians, they were being slaughtered. Um, and this is what they do. In, in Cuba, the same thing. One of the first ones they went for were the Christians. And this is what happened. Why? Because they know you have the Spirit of God in you and they don't want to be convicted by that light. The big lie in the world is that God is constraining. He's archaic. He's mean. He wants to take away my fun. No. Take it from somebody who's lived on both sides. Half a pagan and half a Christian. And I have to tell you, I look back, he, just, he came to free me. I was just too stubborn in the beginning to come to him. I'm, just thank, I'm thankful I, I finally did. So I've decided to serve him all the days of my life. That's why I'm up here. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's sad. I see in even American politics, a lot of the young people, they're trying to make the utopia here. And we saw this under the Sanders movement. And I have to tell you, I've talked to some Sanders supporters, and I admire their idealism. I do. But you know what happened? Pragmatism took over idealism. It always does. Pragmatism, reality always trumps idealism. And a lot of Sanders supporters were upset when Bernie threw his support behind, behind Hillary. Again, I'm not saying somebody's good or bad. I'm not being political here. I'm just giving you the facts. Okay? And, and again, I've, I've had a passionate discussion with the Sanders supporters a few months ago. And... Uh, I just was trying to, to tell her about what the reality, even if he's the greatest guy in the world, what the reality is when socialism or communist-type government comes to take over the United States. Free health care, free college. Yeah, but there's going to be things that unintended consequences that you don't realize are coming. And then they're going to decide who gets what. Just so you know, the people who are running, I don't support. The, the person that I wanted is not running, just so you know. So this isn't a political discussion. But the point is that Ahab listened to Jezebel. He could have listened to God through Elijah. Elijah represented God. Jezebel represented the world and the demons who control a lot of the forces in this world. Who are we listening to? Who, who's mentoring us? Who's counseling us? Who are we accountable to? What kind of counsel are we getting? Is it worldly? Is it humanistic? Or is it rooted in God's Word? If you don't know the Lord, I want to assure you, and I say this with all kindness and grace as possible, there's no utopia on this planet. So many have tried to find utopia. We're going to have the perfect society. You know what the problem is? People are part of that society. And if you gave me the power tomorrow to be the king, I probably would let you guys down. Because Jeremiah says that my heart is wicked, just as wicked as it's your heart. Who can know it? Only God searches the hearts and mind. He knows it. So I want to encourage you, first of all, who are you listening to? And second of all, if you don't know the Lord, it's just going to be a matter of time before you're going to be forced into a situation where you're going to have to make a choice. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.